Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast, the official podcast of Light Reading, where we cover the technology, finance, and people powering tomorrow's communication networks. I'm Phil Harvey, U.S. editor, uh, U.S. news editor. I don't even know my own title these days. <laughs> joining me today is... Um, I am Ray Lemaitre. I'm the editor-in-chief uh, across the Atlantic in London. Your, your title is so much easier than mine. I, That's I'm, right, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm news editor or I'm U.S. editor, but I never seem to say them both at the same time. Just say you're head of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I do stuff and things. Yeah. Um, on today's podcast, we'll be talking about CenturyLink's new CTO. We'll be talking about why dull but critical is hot. I hope that segment is not about me. Um, we'll also be talking about cable architecture warming up to the cloud. And do we really need RFPs? And are we really going to have time to cover all these topics? My goodness, Ray, well, where do we start? Well, we're going to start with lots of incredibly short sentences and teasers, and that's how we're going to get through it. <laughs> that sounds sounds fine to me. Um, let's dive right in. Uh, let's talk about CenturyLink. Um, yeah. The, the uh, new CT CTO, uh, Andrew Dugan, uh, was uh, appointed uh, last week. Um, you know, scooped by us, but eventually the company said something, and uh, the um, he he uh, takes over from uh, Amir Hussein, who had uh, held the post since 2014. Um, you know that was that was a pretty stable uh, you know management team there at CenturyLink, and now that the Level Three acquisition is a year old and fully integrated, um, two things have happened. Of course, uh, the payouts uh, for the acquisition have all vested. <laughs> so just get get right in there. I just imagine that that's had something to do with people suddenly looking at their watch and going, you know, I really don't need to be here right now. Um, uh, you know, so, so we've seen some management changeover because they also switched uh, C CFOs uh, uh, last week as well. So, I mean, when you have that many um, changes at the C-level and, you know, and it coincides with a year following the company's acquisition, the closing of the acquisition, then, you know, it, it, it must have something to do with that, I guess. Pure coincidence, Phil. Pure coincidence. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that's all it was. Uh, but the other coincidence in all of this is, uh, is CenturyLink CEO uh, and former Level 3 CEO Jeff Story. Um, he is uh, uh, known to be a, a an executive that um, once he gets into a spot, he brings along people that he's worked with before. He really is loyal to his team, and his team really likes working for him. Um, and Dugan, of course, was the uh, uh, CTO at Level 3 understory uh, before it combined with CenturyLink. So in a way, that 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 sort of makes sense that um, he's going to come in and uh, uh, be familiar to the upper management team there and, uh, you know, keep driving their vision forward. Yeah, and I think um, what is key about this appointment is that uh, Dugan has been, you know, we're kind of getting to the stage now where every network operator really needs to be getting on with how it is reshaping its networks uh, to uh, adapt to essentially uh, the telco cloud, if we want to call it that. Uh, and Dugan's been kind of on top of this for a number of years. Um, he has been um, introducing um, software-defined networking uh, into to level three for a number of years. He's gotten to know how it works, uh, gotten to work with, with a team, uh, and also networks to see how things like... Um, 
changing bandwidth on demand, etc., uh, and starting to basically offer as a service capabilities. He's really been on top of this. And I think, you know, this is obviously where a company uh, like CenturyLink needs to go, needs to, needs to head in terms of its networking capabilities. And so Dugan's got a lot of experience now. And it's obviously trusted not only above uh, above him by the CEO, but also by the team below him. So I, I think this is a pragmatic and very sensible um, uh, appointment here. And I think it's going to stand CenturyLink in good stead. Yeah, it's absolutely um, critical, too, that they are doing this in a way that doesn't disrupt, you know, the yes. momentum that they have. Um, you know, CenturyLink as a company really is changing, um, you know, up and, you know, to date, um, I think they're, they're, business and consumer split is something like uh, a little more than 75% on the business side um, yeah. and about, you know, 20 something percent on the consumer side. So you really need a CTO who, uh, you know, knows how to uh, run that part of the business and, and, and has the vision to, um, like you said, find all those operational efficiencies in how they're going about reaching uh, you know, new buildings and new companies with their um, extensive fiber network and all the on-net buildings that they have uh, in their network. Uh, you know, he knows that much better than, uh, yeah. you know, the folks on the CenturyLink side who are mostly concentrating on the residential consumer business. Right. And um, he's not coming into this and saying, so this SDN stuff, what's that all about? <laughs> right. um, you know, he, he's right in there talking about, you know, east-west interfaces between operators to be able to offer, you know, SLAs on, on software-defined uh, uh, services across multiple operators. And that's where these companies need to be right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, very well put. And uh, yeah, so he's a, he's, a, he's the right man for the job and he was already uh, pretty close to the job. So that was good too. Um, and, but, and we've got a, a, a brand new video interview with him uh, on light reading as well uh, that was uh, recorded just before he was uh, outed if that's right. the right term, by, <laughs> by you, Phil, in fact, on Light Reading last week as the new CTO. So a great scoop, obviously. Yes, I got the scoop. Carol did the interview, um, Carol Wilson. And uh, yeah. that is, uh, yeah, that was posted from our uh, coverage of MEF uh, 2018 in Los Angeles. So uh, Meth, Phil, meth. Oh, meth, sorry. Yeah. Um, it used to be an acronym, and I'm still stuck in the past. Um, yeah, both. It's amazing how many people who are right in the thick of that organization's, you know, uh, meetings and everything, still say, uh, you know, and of course at the MEF, I mean MEF. I mean that. In fact, that's what they should call it now. MEF. I mean I MEF. Mean MEF. Yeah. Yeah. Dot org. <laughs> that sounds good to me. All right, uh, let's take a quick break. We will come back and we'll talk about dull but critical. We're back. It's a light reading podcast. I'm Phil. That's Ray. And uh, in segment two, we're talking about dull but critical. And I really, um, I'm, I'm already offended. I, I can't believe we're having a segment <laughs> to talk about my job and my person personality this way. But um, Ray, what do you what do you mean by dull but critical? Um, so I think you know you you could apply to this uh, apply this to to many of the developments um, in 
the sort of OSS arena, I think, uh, over mm -hmm. the years. Uh, when I first started uh, attending industry events like the TM Forum, uh, looking into OSS, people were like, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to go and find out about that? It's so boring. Um, and it's it's not the most exciting um, thing in the world, you know, service assurance, fulfillment, um, you know, alarm management. But this is absolutely critical stuff to the network operators and always has been uh, and, and makes the difference on things like the SLAs and, and you know, um, revenue assurance, things like this. And we're now we've now reached a point where the networks are changing so much that, that all of these support mechanisms um, are, are changing radically too. Um, and for many people, if you look like, uh, looked at a list of, of topics like service assurance for 5G, mm. what's next with telemetry? Uh, they might find it hard to stifle a yawn. Um, <laughs> but actually, this stuff is, is really energizing a lot of people and, and is at the top of a lot of CTO and CIO lists for what they really need to do as they evolve the the physical infrastructure towards um, 5G, whether that be in the in the transport network, the access network, whether it's uh, fixed or wireless, um, things like um, you know streaming tele telemetry rather than uh, polling the the network with SNM SNMP every five or fifteen minutes is absolutely key key to building the data lakes where you use the new analytics tools to find out what's going on in your network and predicting what comes next. Uh, this stuff is critical. In fact, uh, we, Light Reading had an event in London last week, uh, very natally titled Software Defined <laughs> Operations and the Autonomous Network. We're not calling it that again next year, Next year, by the way. Uh, but where we delved into um, a lot of these uh, topics, the room was full, the room was engaged, a lot of operators came not only to talk about these topics, but to be in the audience uh, and listen um, uh, to do other operators and other experts talk about this stuff. Um, and it was a really good and engaged event. Um, so things like, you know, we had a panel about how blockchain could play a role in telecoms as well. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the role of um, potential, well, no, the existing and potential role of artificial intelligence tools. That sounds much more um, exciting, but usually that those uh, conversations about AI don't go very deep. Uh, and they did last week into to where exactly um, AI uh, algorithms and components are, are currently being used and where they could be advantageous to the operators. Um, so a lot of this can be can look pretty dull, but it, it's dull but critical stuff. And we're going to carry on uh, covering and, and delving into this stuff going forward as we always have done. Yeah, it's interesting because there's so many um, uh, parts of what makes up a network now. And it I, there's a couple of things happening, I guess, at the same time. The first is, yeah, the, these new technologies are putting new pressure on the network. So when we're talking about IoT, of course, um, and, and, and things that are even in the future, like if you're thinking about how to do network slicing, um, that just has so many components of uh, of service assurance and who get who who's on the hook for um what happens to that slice of bandwidth that's just using a portion of that network? Um, yeah. You know, all of that stuff has to be accounted for or charged for. And, um, you know, there has to be some sort of uh, 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 paper trail, I guess, uh, to use an old term, to, to 
to make sure that all the things that were promised actually did happen in the network. And that if there were problems that someone knew exactly where to go to uh, diagnose and troubleshoot the problem, um, that that's one part of it. The next part of it is just the OSSBSS part. Um, I know these systems are uh, critical to how telecom infrastructure runs. And I also know that they haven't really had the pressure that's uh, been put on them lately to upgrade and uh, and and move those systems forward. You know, to they, they've they've always been sort of um, older uh, parts of the infrastructure. And you know, they, if it was working and it was spitting out a bill, they just left it alone. And um, now they can't afford to do that because new services and the ability to offer new services quickly and to bill for such services is completely tied up in uh, how advanced those OSS and BSS systems are. Absolutely. Yes. So there's that, there's that pressure as well. And, um, and I think that's, it's, it's an overall positive for the industry. Um, It it really does get them out of this uh, uh, sort of stagnation that they've been in and uh has them uh looking at ways to uh you know account for what's going to happen on their network and then while they're at it you know uh updating these systems these these antiquated systems and finding out you know uh and really maybe going back to the vendors and saying like well you know what are we paying for here <laughs> how can how can you help us actually build services more quickly without having to buy a new license from you every uh you know, oh. every time we add a service. Yeah, engagement with vendors uh, and, and it, once again, a new wave of, of operators thinking, actually, the thing I need, I, I can't get at the moment, so I'm going to try and develop it myself, hearing about a new wave of that, those kind of developments as well. So Yeah, yeah, and I think open source is, is, is definitely propelling that along. So yeah, dull but critical is definitely uh, uh, it's definitely the way to go. And there's a bunch of, bunch of different uh, things that fall into that category of network infrastructure. So we'll definitely keep, uh, keep on top of it. Um, let's take a quick break and then we'll talk about cable and, uh, cables relationship to the cloud. All right. We're going to talk about cable architecture in the cloud. We're going to ask the question about whether we need RFPs and then we'll wrap up, uh, Ray, first of all, um, Cable architecture in the cloud. So another event that happened last uh, last week um, is the uh, Light Readings Cable Next Gen Europe event in London. Yes. Um, yes. It's the first time we've had that in London, right? I think. Yes. First time we've done Cable Next Gen uh, in Europe, in fact. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it was packed. Um, and with operators from, from all over Europe, Scandinavia, European continent, UK, the mm-hmm. Iberian Peninsula, it was a great turnout. That's great. Um, so what was the, the, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, the, the providers are not in lockstep like the ones in the U.S. are in terms of um, how they go about planning their architecture and, yep. um, you know, what, what's, uh, uh, vendor sources they're using and that sort of thing. They all kind of are a bit more independent there and they also have, um, you know, different network considerations depending on their uh, geographic location. Um, was there any theme that sort of cut across all of that? Um, I mean, we, you know, the, the, the title of the segment is talking about the cloud. So obviously they're, they're waking up to, um, you know, virtualization and, and what's possible with the cloud. 
And I think that that's what really came out. You know, I think uh, traditionally uh, cable next gen network technologies has almost exclusively focused on, you know, what's the next step? What's the evolution uh, of that, the the cable access network, you know, the iterations of DOCSIS. We've reached DOCSIS 3.1 now, and obviously there there was plenty of discussion uh, about that. Uh, and, And I think one of the uh, conclusions reached was that you know DOCSIS 3.1 is is uh, is de- is in terms of deployments uh, is further down the line in North America than than in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, but in Europe some of the uh, more distributed architectures are being uh, deployed there sooner than in North America, and that's really down to really the market size uh, and and how many of the, the the cable networks in Europe are actually you know, they're built in much more contained areas uh, mm-hmm. enabling this uh, um, uh, sort of distributed architecture to be deployed a bit more more easily and more quickly uh, but what was um, what was very noticeable is that uh, you know it was only a day event loads of talk about that that access architecture but also an awful lot of interest as well um, in in more what you might call cloud architecture uh, questions and debates um, so you know how uh, how is how are SDN and NFE uh, going to play a role in the in the cable with the cable operators um, how is edge computing going to fit into to cable network um, uh, strategies right. uh, and also just in general what kind of impact is the the evolution towards 5g in general what's that going to have what kind of impact is that going to have uh, on the MSO community um, you know what what role can they play how do they need to think about the evolution of their networks and their businesses to account for 5G. Um, uh-huh. So it was the the conversations were much much broader than you know if we'd done this event three years ago it would have been an entire day about DOCSIS 3.1 I'm pretty <laughs> and set top boxes right um, and and video services uh, but this uh, we so much ground was covered in a day it was uh, it was a re- really interesting event. And again, it was one, you know, from beginning of the day to the end, the the place was packed, lots of conversations going on and lots of really good feedback since then. And all of these, all the supply community and the operator community are equally as engaged uh, in all of these topics. Oh, that's, that's excellent. Um, I think this edge computing thing in cable is going to be interesting because, mm. um, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Consumers are kind of all connected now and they, they'll all have the same expectations, you know, about content and re- reaching content and, and producing content and uploading things and stuff like that. So that's going to become more of a thing. I think also too, we're probably going to have that 5g friend or foe conversation about the cable industry for quite some time. I, it doesn't yeah. seem like there's a real simple way to break that apart. Absolutely. Um, so that's good. No, this is this is good to uh, keep keep talking about that because I, I think especially as five G becomes more um, uh, more prevalent, these operators might actually find uh, that their cloud and virtualization plans uh, maybe incorporate five G maybe more than they think uh, uh, or, or more, maybe more than they could predict now. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay, great. Uh, the next little thing we have to talk about is 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 talking about RFPs. So this is a request for proposals. This is the traditional way that telecom uh, service providers 
uh, ask for uh, vendors and technology companies to build things in their network. Um, they put out an RFI, which is a request for information uh, that gets back a bunch of responses. And then they put out a request for proposal that says, OK, now tell us how much you're what you're going to build and roughly how much it's going to cost. Um, are you hinting that just just by asking the question, <laughs> are you hinting that that uh, that, that we're be moving beyond the point of needing RFPs? Well, I, th- I think I just want to kind of uh, throw it out there and have this as an ongoing discussion. And it'd be great to get feedback as well from mm-hmm. folks. But, you know, it would appear and I, and I know there's definitely conversations in the industry going on about this. But the RFP process uh, from beginning to end, which can sometimes take between 12 and 24 months, is, is that fit for purpose in the industry now? I, I don't think so. Yeah, it seems a bit antiquated. Um, the the time that I've I, I like reading them and is um, and these are not put out by the industry though. These are put out by municipalities. But the smart cities um, RFPs are very interesting because they're usually a city, uh, a government, a municipal government taking a thirty year look at where they want to go. Um, now, of course, they're kind of pie in the sky and a little bit. Um, nonsensical to a point uh, they don't know what to ask for in some point so but it is interesting because it gives it's kind of like a vision statement almost but the actual art that you know does that actually help um no not really because it seems like some of the people that are responding <laughs> to those they they're, they're asking for so much that they um you know that it's kind of like they just the the, the responses they get back are these like kitchen sink uh, proposals and then they only end up you know, commissioning some small part of that, like, please give us smart trash cans. And it's like, well, you put out this, <laughs> this 30 year vision and all you're doing is smart trash cans. It's, it's, you know, um, it, it, it so yeah, I guess it is kind of a, a bureaucratic waste on its face, but, um, but in some cases they can, they can kind of tip, uh, you know, maybe tip the operator's hand, uh, about where they see their network going that, and that, that can be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, yeah, I would like to hear more. Let's have this as a recurring theme because I think it's going to crop up a lot. Yeah, I would like to hear more about this. Um, and, uh, and I think that about wraps, uh, uh, it's a good place for us to wrap it up today. Um, uh, uh, so uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by uh, No One Yet, but sponsorship opportunities are available. Uh, email sales at lightreading.com for more info. The podcast is mixed and edited by Daniel Allen. He is Light Reading's head of video based in New York City. The music was written and performed by Sergei Essiombre of Olive Music and was licensed by Premium Beat. Do you like what you heard today? today have a question for the podcast are you dull but critical (laughs) (laughs) drop us a line by emailing editors at lightreading.com or find us all individually on twitter i'm at future phil and And i'm at ray lamaitra very nice uh ray any parting words no i think it's about time for me to send an rfp out for my pizza oh fantastic pizza sounds good okay bye everyone we'll talk to you later (laughs) 